0: We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. justice well, hello, friends. When Thank you for listening in. This is Shane Claiborne, and I uh, am so excited for those of you that tune in every week and those of you uh, that tune every, in every once in a while. Welcome, uh, for those of you t- tuning in for the first time, you're especially welcome. I, I love talking about faith. And as many of you know, I like t- talking about faith not just as something that is a ticket into heaven and an excuse to ignore the world we live in. But uh, our faith is not just about escaping this world, but about engaging this world. It is... uh the the motivation for trying to move this world from what it is into what God wants it to be. And I certainly believe in heaven, and I'm grateful for life after death. We will party like there's no tomorrow, and there won't be. But Christianity is... Uh, not just about going to heaven when we die, but bringing God's dream on earth as it is in heaven. And for too long, many Christians have promised people life after death, while a lot of people are asking if there's life before death. Doesn't our faith have any relevancy to the world, the broken world that we're living in right now? And at Red Letter Christians, we believe it does. If you're hearing that for the first time, we get our name from the Bibles that often have the words of Jesus highlighted in red. And we're trying to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. <laughs> it's an aspiration. We we don't always live up to it, but we're trying to live like Jesus meant the stuff he said. We want a Christianity that looks like Jesus again. Um if- As you may know, the word Christian means Christ-like. But there is a lot of stuff that gets branded as Christianity, but it doesn't smell like Jesus. It isn't Christ-like at all. And so if it doesn't look like Jesus, it doesn't smell like Jesus, it doesn't love like Jesus, then let's not call it Christianity. So I've been doing this series. Uh, Well, by the way, first of all, this, this week uh, that I'm recording this has been really special. We celebrated 25 years of The Simple Way, the little community that I've been a part of, had the privilege of being a part of for now a quarter of a century, 25 years on the north side of Philadelphia. And if you so many of you have supported our work over the years, it means so much. Uh, I can't wait to see what the next 25 years hold for us. Um, I think most of you know, but our our website for The Simple Way is just the simple way, the simple way dot org. And you can see more about what we're up to building this little village on the north side of Philly. If you ever find yourself in Philadelphia, uh, pop by and see us. In fact, we just had uh Justin Welby and Caroline Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury that stayed here in our home. Uh, We we showed um, Justin and Caroline around Philadelphia. It's been an amazing uh, adventure these last 25 years. And we're right now painting murals and planting gardens, renovating abandoned houses. We just uh, um, dedicated three abandoned houses that were uh, brought back to life so we we like to say resurrection was not just about what Jesus did 2000 years ago. I mean, that's the pinnacle of history, but it also uh, reframes everything. Uh, If we believe Jesus rose from the dead, then we believe dead things can come back to life. We believe abandoned buildings can be brought to life. We believe guns can be reborn and turned into plows and garden tools. (laughs) So that's what we're up to, y'all. And I've been doing this series that, you know, I I don't ever want you to feel like you've missed out if you're just tuning in, but uh, I I wrote this new book, Rethinking Life, and I've been, you know, creating conversations around the themes of that book. And in the last show, uh, for those of you that missed it, I've been in this section called We Decided Some Lives Matter More Than Others. And it, it it this this section of the book is all around the myth of human value, the the hierarchy of race, that some lives matter more than others. And I traced it back. I mean, we went way back to Plato and Aristotle, uh, who uh, Plato began to rank hum- humanity uh, like metals. Um, you know like gold and silver and bronze that some human lives are valued more than others um we saw uh out of that that um Aristotle was was a, a student of Plato and he began to come up with this idea of natural slavery that um some people are made to be slaves and some are made to be masters it began to grow uh uh, to, to have theological roots with Augustine and um, who had many great ideas, but uh, I had a few things off. I'm going to have to say, and uh, <laughs> I kind of challenged Augustine's just war theory, but in this I would uh, certainly challenge um, the, the, uh, the value that, um, uh, Augustine gives to some lives over others The um, this also began to, um, I mean, he, he says that, you know, slavery was the re- is the result of sin and begins to say that, you know, human sin has led to slavery. Um, and, and Thomas Aquinas many years later, about eight centuries later after Augustine, uh, continues to, uh, roll with this theology of, um, Enslavement that some people are um, uh, meant to be slaves, that this is the way that God's kind of orchestrated things. So, uh, this has theological roots. And then, you know, as I left off last time, um, there is a whole lot of other. Theology. So we don't want to allow this to kind of colonize the whole landscape and the theology, uh, black theology, and in particular of black theologians, liberation theologians like James Cone, um, Howard Thurman, others began to tell the story from the other side, right? So where we sit determines what we see. And if you think about this theology from the side of the enslaved rather than the slave masters, as my friend Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove points out, you know, we've got these two narratives, these two theologies, one of the slave master and one of the enslaved. And it matters as we think about uh, the perspective and who's writing our theology, even as we do a personal audit of who's writing the books on our bookshelves. and we need to be listening to those uh, uh, that are the disinherited, the despised, uh, the faces at the bottom of the well, as Derek Bell says. You know these these other theologies that tell the story of God's liberation, and even in spite of the terrible, toxic, twisted theology of white theologians, uh, uh, these these theologians, liberation theologians, begin to tell a different story um but as you get into the 1800s uh this is where uh we, we begin to have eugenics experiment this uh evil experiment of um sort of engineering the master human race this uh uh the 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 idea that we could breed the perfect humanity that we could improve on the image of god (laughs) right that some people carry the image of god more than others and so um it's to our advantage as a human race to um engineer The the perfect superior human race by selectively mating people with desirable hereditary traits, and so this idea uh, of 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 Sir Francis Galton in the eighteen hundreds 18 to nineteen hundreds was he was the cousin of Charles Charles Darwin, right? So as we think about um, the 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 idea of um, eugenics. It became all uh, riddled with race, and this is where we also see that we don't want folks to intermarry across race. Some of the first race laws, some of the first laws in the American colonies, forbid the the um, mixing of race, uh, and there was all kinds of um, terrible, you know, racist language that we used for these laws. But I mean, it wasn't even until. The, the late 1900s that some people begin to denounce the idea of uh, racial segregation when it comes to um, marriage and sexuality. Um, so this is where we're at, right? The, and, and of course, this took um, uh, a, a, a terrible turn um, in Uh, Hitler's Germany, but we often just go straight there to where, you know, um, the Nazis were um, ranking certain people, some to be literally killed and exterminated uh, in the concentration camps and others, you know, as they measured their noses as um, doctors actually put chemical eye drops in people's eyes to try to create blue eyes for everybody um so this i mean it, it you know it became a part of our society uh but it you know in hitler's germany this was happening at the same time that the u.s was carrying out forced sterilizations uh, that we were uh, make trying to engineer who could reproduce and who couldn't um so that was our backdrop and and this is so important as we think about what it means to be pro-life, right? I'm trying to take that back to not shrink uh uh what it means to be pro-life, but to expand it. And also the beginning of that is to see how historically um we we've been um very inaccurate in our we, we've been very uh inconsistent you know in in our value of life in our championing of human lives in fact we've told some people that uh white folks have told black folks in particular that you can reproduce when we tell you to when we want you to and people who were enslaved became um breeders of what was seen as human property for white folks we forced folks to to reproduce because it had value to white folks. Um, And and then we sterilize native folks. We sterilize people who um, were seen as as less valuable because they uh, they were impoverished or they had uh, uh, physical or mental disabilities. And so all that's the backdrop of, um, even as we think about what it means to be pro-life today, it's important to reckon with some of this history. So then, you know, we get to this movement, right? We get to the the moment that we're in now in America, uh, where we've had one of the most powerful uh, movements uh, of racial reckoning since the civil rights movement, um, the Black Lives Matter movement. And uh, as we think about our country, which was built, you know, with stolen labor on stolen land, um, we have inherent in... American theology. And even in our, I mean, in our theology, I'm, I'm going to call it theology because this was the manifest destiny um, had theology underneath it. Um, there was this idea that um, uh, some people's lives were more valuable than others. That was um, uh, a, a foundational for the, the forefathers in America, and uh, you know, even cases, landmark cases like Dred Scott, the Dred Scott case, um, where we denied the fact that black folks have any rights that white people are required to recognize. The founding documents uh, of our country consider black folks Three fifths human, and they refer to Native Americans as savages. So the same forefathers who penned the words, all men are created equal, owned Black people as property. Is are things we, we got to reckon with. And this isn't, you know, this is the battle that some folks would like to erase as we think of history. There are folks in, in the United States right now talking about critical race theory. But, you know, when you ask them what what they mean by that, really what it amounts to is they don't want to teach any history that could make black folks feel or, or white folks feel bad right we want to try to tell history in a way that um that that uh sugarcoats it and it says this is just uh, uh this was a blessing uh, you know it was it was and it's it's absolutely terrible so this this is where we're at and uh, as we think of those founding documents literally that called native american savages that uh considered black folks three fifths human um uh, th- there's something to be said about what it's going to take to correct that history, to heal those wounds. And that's where the Black Lives Matter movement has been pinnacle. To say that Black Lives Matter is simply to affirm what 400 years of history has denied. And to say that Black Lives Matter is not to say white lives don't matter. It's not to say black lives matter more, but it's certainly to affirm that black lives don't matter less, right? They matter. In fact, they more than matter. Black lives are sacred. Black folks are uh, made in the image of God. Native Americans carry the image of God. Their lives are sacred. So we, if we can't emphatically say that black lives matter, it's hard to believe we really mean that all lives matter. And that's why it's interesting that the uh the the response uh, of to Black Lives Matter has often been all lives matter. But it, it it what's so interesting is that history has been particular in its discrimination, and so we need to be particular in our affirmation of life, and it can mean different things in different contexts, right? I, I think uh um in, in Israel and Palestine, it can uh, be the conviction that Palestinian lives matter, the assertion that Palestinian lives matter to God, that they are made in the image of God because their lives are being crushed right now. Um, and, and, um, in Hitler's Germany, to say Jewish lives matter was a theological and spiritual conviction and it was a uh, affirmation of the value of life that was being crushed and to say it even now when anti-semitism is on the rise but we don't just need to be general uh certainly all lives matter but we also need to be able to be particular because our god is personal our god uh uh cares about those particular lives that have been crushed. Um, I even think of, you know, the Beatitudes. Jesus blesses all the people that this world has crushed. He centers the people that this world has marginalized. He celebrates the people that this world often forgets. He validates the people this world invalidates. So think about it i mean you can't come up with a list that's much more counter-cultural than the beatitudes of jesus that we see you know in the gospel where jesus says, blessed are the poor in a world that blesses the rich and praises the productive. Uh, Jesus blessed those. blesses those who mourn. When mourning can feel like weakness or that we're ashamed, he blesses the meek in a, a culture that scoffs at the meek and adores the bold and strong and ambitious, right? Jesus blesses those who hunger for justice. Um, and he... Those who hunger for food, he blesses them and says, blessed are the poor, but woe to you who are rich. Jesus blesses the merciful in a society that idolizes systems of law and order and scoffs at the idea of mercy. The pure in heart, those are the people Jesus blesses in a world that, you know, we're, we're We've got anything but pure hearts. The peacemakers, Jesus blesses in a world that dismiss dismisses any talk of peace as naive. Jesus blesses the persecuted. And our culture is obsessed with comfort and safety and avoiding persecution. So Jesus is blessing the people this world cursed. And, you know, I, I kind of joke in, in my book, but uh, that if Jesus had done the Beatitudes today, blessed are the poor, blessed are the merciful, someone would stand up and say, oh, but God loves the rich too. <laughs> God bless everybody, right? All lives matter. And that's why it's so interesting that Jesus is affirming in particular ways, those lives that have been crushed in this world. And uh, it's it, it, this also happens in the book of Corinthians, right? So so there's this beautiful passage in 1 Corinthians 12, where it talks about how we're all one body with many parts. And just as a body, though one as many parts, uh, all its many parts form this one body. You know, it goes on, it says, we're all baptized in one spirit. So to form this body, uh, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we're all one in Christ, right? So what's interesting though, is at the end of this, passage it says the parts of the body that have been dishonored are given special honor those parts of the body that seem to be weaker or indispensable and the parts of the body that we think are less honorable are given special honor Come on, somebody. My friend Alexia Salvatierra calls this God's affirmative action. (laughs) God's giving special honor to the parts of the body that have been dishonored. Hmm. So it's this idea that God's affirming what we have refused to affirm. God's given special honor, God's affirmative action. So history has not been colorblind and our systems continue to discriminate. So we can't simply be post-race or colorblind. We need to undo the harm that has been done by hundreds of, of years of racism so injustice and oppression have disproportionately affected people of color and other marginalized groups and it's our holy duty to give special honor to the parts of our family that this world for hundreds of years has dishonored so i i uh Remember, you know, comedians and artists often are some of the prophetic voices. And I remember, you know, one comedian, uh, Michael Che, I think it was, who he 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 was talking about. You know, if your wife uh, asks you, "Honey, do you love me?" You don't respond by saying, "Baby, I love everybody." (laughs) At At least you better not respond that way. There is something. Beautiful about the particular love that we have for each other and that God has for us. And the particular shape of repairing and healing the harm of racism means that we need to be able to, to say emphatically and specifically, black lives matter, native lives matter those parts of our body that have been historically dishonored we're making it real plain and making it clear your life is sacred so that's why i, I think that the the black lives matter movement is is a, a holy beautiful thing that that the spirit is doing among us in in different Spaces, different contexts, but this idea that we want to affirm um, people in a particular way that have been marginalized—that God cares about them. Jesus does it in the Beatitudes. We see it in the the beautiful Book of Corinthians, and so we we've got to affirm uh, those lives that history has not affirmed so well. So this is uh, this is the holy work of being. For life, we're saying that every person is created in the image of God. It means that we can we can celebrate that anything, uh, and we can grieve together that anything that crushes a human life is crushing the image of God, and God takes that personal. So I want to invite you. You know, if you if you're reading along with us, uh, this new book, Rethinking Life, Embracing the Sacredness of Every Person. That's the subtitle, Embracing the Sacredness of Every Person. Um, It is about celebrating the image of God in in every human being. And if you order it from, you can actually order it from us. um, I'm going to give you a new website that I'll sign a copy and send it to you. If you order it from... Uh, our work at Raw Tools. So we get our name, Raw Tools, from flipping war backwards, right? R-A-W, rawtools.org. If you order um, the book from Raw Tools Philly, I'll sign it. I'll send it to you, rawtoolsphilly.org. Go there and you can get a copy of Rethinking Life. You can get it a lot of other places too, but I'd love to write you a little note in it, a little prayer, send you a copy. Uh, I'm going to continue this series as we... Uh, the next chapter is about America, and it flows right out of this um, the, the, this uh, section that we created a hierarchy where some lives matter more than others, and this next section will, is called, We Believed America Was Exceptional. So join me next week. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. And if you haven't joined the Red Letter Christians movement, go to redletterchristians.org, y'all. We need you to be a part of this movement that is living as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next week.